Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors on staff at the Ridge, and our vision is to bring the hope of Jesus into every home. So as a piece of that, our goal each week is to bring you something that's hopeful and helpful. So subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any hopeful and helpful conversations. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Ridge Podcast. If you find today's episode hopeful and helpful, then please follow or subscribe and then rate and review so that more people can find the conversation. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to give us a follow and turn on notifications so that you don't miss any conversations. Now, this week, we're continuing our conversation with Dr. John Marriott. And if you missed part one last week, be sure to check it out, catch that episode. Uh, But just as a refresher, John's a professor at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He's a faculty affiliate at Harvard University's Human Flourishing Program, an author of five books on deconversion and deconstruction, and he wrote his dissertation on Christian deconversion to atheism. He's studied a lot on the topic of deconstruction and deconversion, and he joined me on the podcast to chat about deconstruction and his newest book that he co-authored with Sean McDowell, Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. Now, in this half of the conversation, we're going to chat about how our values affect our view of God, and then why intellectual humility is so important during deconstruction. This is my conversation with John. Um, I want to get to my, my, my favorite chapter, the section about like understanding yourself really well and your values, and you kind of went through um, the six main values that we have uh or I mean, maybe you could you could probably list other than those six, right? But for the foundational point of the conversation and how everyone prioritizes a certain value more than others, um, while kind of a key component being that God has equal representation perfectly of all of the values, right? And so we like one more than another, or we gravitate towards one more than the other. Would you mind sharing a little bit maybe about how those differences, they sure. can affect our view of faith and deconstruction? Yeah, so this comes out of the work of a, a moral psychologist by the name of Jonathan Haidt. He called he is a, he's not a believer. Um, he identifies even as an atheist. Um, he uh, has got a lot of great videos on YouTube. You can find him. It's H A I D T Jonathan Haidt, and uh, his argument is, and uh, it seems to have really wide acceptance. You know, there are some folks in the margins who will tweak it, but he says, just like your tongue has various taste receptors, salty, sweet, savory, and and we sometimes like salty foods better. You might like sweet foods better. Other person might like savory foods better. Uh, That we actually have sort of this moral foundation that is uh, like moral taste receptors. Now, everyone has the, the these same taste receptors, these moral taste receptors, but we we weigh them differently and he cashes it out in these sort of six pairs. He says, everyone universally, and he's done, I forget now, it's probably over 30,000 either interviews or you can actually go online and take a test and find out where you sort of fall on the, on the moral foundation scale. But everyone appreciates care and says that you should not harm people unnecessarily. Um, Everyone values liberty as a virtue and thinks that oppression is 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 a vice and is bad. Um, there are some things that 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 people believe are sacred and that and and we are sanctity and and give a lot of weight to that. And then then we the opposite of that would be degradation. We think that that degrading things is is bad. 
Um, universally, people believe that that fairness is good, that cheating is bad, that um, authority is a virtue. Of course, it can be it can be abused, but then subversion of authority is typically bad if it's rightful authority. And then uh, loyalty is better than betrayal. Mm. Now, what what he's going to argue, and what he what he does argue, is he says that when it comes to moral issues in our life. And we're not talking about um, something like, um, um, which is the fastest car? That's not a moral issue. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, or, or who is the tallest person? We're, we're asking um, sort of these existential questions that really touch at the very nature of who we are. Moral questions, uh, kind of identity questions. He says that most people think that the way they come to conclusions is by this reasoned process. Take, for example, should there be a southern border wall in the, between the United States and Mexico? Um, Jonathan Haidt's going to say, you actually answer that question on a very deep moral level, depending on what you give the greatest weight to out of those six compares, those six pairs that I gave. Yeah. And then from there, you create and you construct intellectual arguments. But the conclusion that, yes, we should build a border wall or no, we shouldn't build a border wall is not the end of the argument. It actually was the beginning of the argument because, let's say, I really, really value um, loyalty hmm. and you really, really value liberty. Hmm. If I really value loyalty, like that's really important to me, then I'm thinking, hey, we need a border wall because we need to put Americans first. Mm. Or say I really value sanctity, right? Mm. The sanctity of the country. If you don't have a wall, then you don't have a, you know, you don't have a border, you don't have a country kind of a yeah. thing. And you really deeply value liberty and care. Mm. Well, you will probably be inclined to say, no, we shouldn't have a border wall. Actually, we should probably have more open border policies. Mm. If I deeply value sanctity and loyalty, then I'm going to think, no, we need to have restrictive border policies. Mm. And then we will argue from that deep intuition that we have, right? So you have a moral intuition. That moral intuition is, no, we shouldn't have the wall. Yes, we should have the wall. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that you value liberty greater than you value loyalty, and I value loyalty greater than I value liberty, right? Yeah. And so the idea is, is that um, when it comes to interpreting the Bible, if Jonathan Haidt is right, hmm. then if I have this deep sense of value, you know, if I really value care and I really value liberty and I really value, you know, kindness, there's going to be some doctrines that I come across in scripture that are not going to be appealing to me whatsoever. And I'm, my moral intuition is going to push back on that and say, that can't possibly be true. That can't possibly be of God. That just sounds so terrible. Hmm. And likewise, you know, if I value things like, you know, loyalty and authority and, and, and sanctity, there might be things that I come across in scripture that I just go like, that can't be right. That just sounds like, like totally liberal politics. Like Jesus didn't really mean that when he said that, because that just sounds like, you know, socialism or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and so we can construct views of Christianity or versions of Christianity 
that really uh, emphasize what our deeply held moral values are. Now, everyone shares these moral values. It's just that we give them greater, we just disproportionately value them. Um, yeah. And they can cause us, they can act like lenses that we interpret the Bible through. Yeah. Uh, I stole a, uh, I stole a quote here. Um, Whenever one or two values acts as the only lens through which we see God and interpret the Bible, it will distort our vision of God rather than bring clarity. I I was I read that I was like oh man I was like highlighting it on my Kindle and I was like this is this is so good because I think that uh, we want God to be a certain way, you know, and we want the Bible to read a certain thing. Yes. And uh, if I could get rid of hell, I would get rid of hell. Right. Yeah. You know, and so. Uh, I think the really hard, challenging thing throughout that process is I is saying where do I want I want this to be the answer, and so maybe I'm reading this answer into what Christianity should be or yes. following Jesus means. Uh, is there any like if somebody's saying that to you, what would your response be to them? So what would this specific question maybe be? If they're saying this is what I want Christianity Yeah, to great, great, great question. Uh, great qualifier. Um, so if they're saying, hey, I'm having a hard time. I feel like I want uh, the Bible to say this about, we'll, we'll use the hell example, right? I don't think people should be punished for not, for, I don't think there should be a, a real hell, okay? Because I want there not to be one. Um how would you navigate through like how how would you encourage them well here's how maybe you might want to wrestle through you're putting your own value you're putting your own wants into what the bible says yeah that's a really great question i think i would go back to thanking them listening to them <laughs> um, yes, that's asking some more clarifying questions like yeah. what a helpful question would and, and this is this is not a cop out but i mean i think you know, a helpful question would be, well, what do you mean by hell? Hmm. Right? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, what is that, that little pillar, a Jenga block? Yeah. 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 And what do you mean by that? And then, and then ask, you know, some sort of some follow up questions. I, I think, you know, empathizing is really helpful as well. Hmm. You know, I'm, um, I, I really don't love conflict. Um, I really am sensitive to, to criticism. So, you know, I go, I, I, I'm drawn to Amazon reviews of the book, but yet I'm like looking at it through squinted eyes because I'm afraid like someone's going to say that this is a terrible book, you know, you're yeah, a horrible yeah. person, you should never have written it. Um, and um, and so I am, uh, I'm, I'm really um, uh, sensitive to that. So, you know, I, um, I'm just somebody who hates conflict and, 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 and hates, you know, having yeah. to, to have these kind of, uh, ar arguments with, with people. So, um, I would say, look, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you probably on, on, on a lot of these things. Like, yeah, I wish that the LGBTQ thing wasn't this. I wish that God would just be like, yeah, live and let live. And, and everybody can kind of do their own thing and you should just kind of love each other. And then you start asking, well, like, what does it even mean then to love someone and what is kindness and what is goodness and who defines that? Like, I, I'm right there with those mm. questions of, that most people are struggling with, yeah. right? I, I would love it if in the Old Testament, God said, yeah, go in and uh, nicely ask the Canaanites if they would please move out of the promise. <laughs> that, that would be great if he said that, you know, that's a hard thing to wrestle with. 
So I, I think empathizing is legitimate if you really do empathize. I think asking those clarifying questions is really helpful because, yeah, you know, if someone says, well, you know, I can't believe in hell. And then you say, well, what do you mean by hell? They might have a picture of hell where you might be able to say, hey, I have some good news for you. Yeah, I don't believe that either. Yeah, in that version of hell. <laughs> yeah, uh, because there really are uh, some some probably assumptions that you're making there uh, yeah. about it. So I think I think that's always a really helpful way to to begin any kind of conversation is to is to listen and to ask those clarifying questions. Um, and, and if someone were to tell me that they really wrestled with hell, I would say, you know, what, I really wrestled with hell too, and. Um, I had to ask myself, all right, who knows more about the nature of reality, me or God, obviously God. Do I think the Bible is God's word? Yes. So I'm willing to grant that. Do I think Jesus is the Lord of my life? Yes. Do I think Jesus referenced hell? Yes. Okay, now let's get into the text and see, but what did it mean? Like, not the surface level, you know, like, but the book of Revelation says it's fire and brimstone. What does it say from Genesis all the way through to Revelation about the eternal state? Hmm. And maybe there is an opening for me to have a new, a more nuanced view than I had before. Sure. Now, if there's not, if I can't come to a more nuanced view with having intellectual integrity, then I, I think I'm forced to say, I don't understand this. I don't like this. Uh, I find this personally offensive. I hate telling people that it's true, but I also think that I have to have some intellectual humility and, and realize that if there's no way around this, and I mean that in a, in a yeah. genuinely around this, like in a, without really yeah. massaging it, then um, I just have to be willing to say that, that I'm not God and that I can trust him because he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me and experience excruciating torment. And so either he really is loving and really is good and can be trusted because he was willing to give us the most precious thing, yeah. or he's a psychopathic glory hound who just offers up his son as a sacrifice so people could sit around and praise him all day. And so I choose to believe the former right? and then say, God is greater than I am, bigger than I am, knows more than I am. And so I have to give him the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. that he will do justly. So that's how I would approach it if I yes. was, um, you know, thinking about having to answer someone who was wrestling with particularly hell. But I think that applies actually for just about almost any issue that you could raise. Yeah, very like, very nuanced, very how do you approach it? And then ultimately go back to that accepting the like God's authority. Um, do you have time for one last question? Do you? Sure. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and just because you brought it up, like the intellectual humility, um, my, uh, uh, so there was this one, one other theme in your book and that was like this mentality about how you go through deconstruction. And I loved, I loved the chapter on, uh, the three dangers of, uh, the humility. Uh, I love the idea of building a steel man. Um, that was really good. And the patience. I uh, kind of touched on the patience element, but I'm curious, would you share maybe a little bit about what does that intellectual humility mean? And, you know, how, like, why is that an important thing? 
Yeah, when I think of intellectual humility, I think of it as a you know a virtue that stands somewhere between being gullible and stubborn, right? Aristotle's <laughs> as the midpoint between two vices. Yeah. And if you're gullible and you're willing to believe everything in anything, that's a bad thing. If you're yeah. super stubborn and you're never willing to change your mind on something, that's a bad thing. But being intellectually humble is is someone who says, hey, I'm not a pushover. I've thought things through. I have I have opinions on some things. I have persuasions on some things. And then I have convictions on some mm. things. But I recognize that I am someone who is limited in intellectual ability. We all know, like, by the time you're in like the second grade, whether who's the smartest kid in the class, right? <laughs> we all know where we stand, sort of, uh, you know, in, in compared to our peers on, on as to who's who's really the you know the smart person. And so it doesn't take long before you realize, like, oh yeah, I could be wrong on some things that I hold, and that I have I have limitations. Like I live at a particular time in history. Mm-hmm. I live at a particular place. Uh, I speak a kind of a language. I'm part of a culture. Yeah, so maybe when I go back and interpret the Bible, um, that's a different culture at a different time in a different place. I see it through my own lenses. Yeah, I might be misunderstanding certain things, right? I might be projecting some things onto the text. So I want to be careful. I recognize that there's gaps in my knowledge and that ultimately at the end of the day, there are some things I can be wrong about. Now, I think you can be convict, have a conviction and still say, yeah, I could be wrong about it. Hmm. But I'm pretty convinced, you know, I'm convinced that, that I, I'm not. Yeah. But um, I realize that I'm a fallible and finite human being. And so I, I'm I'm willing to hear what you have to say hmm. on, on, a, on a particular matter. Um, I think it means valuing the, the ideas of others and, and being willing to separate your identity from your intelligence. And I think sometimes what happens where intellectual in uh, humility really uh runs into you know goes shipwrecked is when when we are, are we get our identity so much from our system or our structure or our framework of belief it's our whole identity or our identity is wrapped up in our intelligence like we equate our intelligence with who we are and so if we're wrong and someone shows us that we're wrong then uh maybe we feel bad or we we hate ourselves, or we just feel stupid, and mm. and and when our identity and our ego is, or uh, our intelligence and our ego are are really connected, and our whole world is, is wrapped, our security is wrapped up in a system that has to be airtight, otherwise the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Then I think intellectual humility suffers because you're always on the defensive. You're not willing mm. to hear what anyone else has to say. And, and you'll never grow uh, in, in your faith, right? Mm. You'll never change. You're, you'll never um, probably get closer to God. I remember R.C. Sproul once said that he quoted he quoted John Calvin. And he said, I can't remember where Calvin said it, but I read Calvin once said that everybody is at least 20% wrong in their theology. <laughs> Just knows what 20%, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I'm not saying that we should be doormats and that we should be so open-minded that, you know, our brains ooze out our ears. But I, I do think that we need to face the fact that we are human, we are fallible, we are limited, and we are often wrong in things that we believe. So we need to hold things with conviction, but also with um, 
with grace. Hmm. Have have you personally, or maybe some other people that you know, have you seen people like develop that characteristic successfully? Yes, actually. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, my father-in-law hmm. um, has, uh, as he's gotten older, he has bucked the trend and become more gracious hmm. and has become more open. It has become, um, he has not sort of solidified in his ways and in his thinking. He's yeah. been able to to hear other opinions. He's been more open to thinking about things uh, differently than he had thought about them before. Um, and um, he has become a more gracious and um, godly man hmm. as a result. So there's hope for us stubborn people, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John, thank you so much for for sharing with us, for giving us all this amazing wisdom. I could ask you probably a hundred more questions. Uh, what's the What's the best way to to get a hold of your book and and maybe your other works? Because you've you've written a lot on this topic. Yeah, the best way to get it would be through Amazon. Okay. Like the best way to get everything else. Is <laughs> yeah. But if you're interested in finding out more about um, maybe why people leave the faith. If you have someone who is going through this process and you're trying to think, hey, how do I, are there any resources out there for me, the parent or the church leader who is trying to respond well in a loving way to the person who is leaving or on the verge? Um, my website has a section for that, has a section on that, okay. a section on, for people who are, who are struggling to hold on to their faith. They don't want to lose it, but they feel like they're, it's slipping away. Uh, there's a section on there for that. There's also a section of stories of people who have returned after they've Ooh. renounced their faith and they've come back, which I think is really encouraging for people to hear because it's not the always the end of the story. Yeah. And then um, there is also a link there for the different books that I've written that if anyone's interested in finding more out about what those are, you can find that out there and then you could go find them on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah, we can link those in the show notes. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, John. This has been so yeah. such a pleasure. By the way, the, the website is my name, John Marriott, two R's, two T's, like the hotel, dot org. Yeah. Perfect. And like I said, we can we can link it. We can send it out to, to people. And uh, yeah, there's lots, okay. seems like there's lots of really great resources on there. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that was my conversation with Dr. John Marriott. And I just want to say thank you to him for sharing his wisdom with all of us and the things that he's learned. You know, if you want to learn more about John or buy his book, check out the show notes and the description of this episode. Now, for more resources on deconstruction, make sure to check out Permission to Deconstruct on our YouTube channel and head over to our resources page for more resources on this topic. Now, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ridge Podcast, and make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss any hopeful and helpful conversations.